0: Welcome to Daily Chomish Summaries. I wrote these summaries in memory of my beloved paternal grandfather, Usher Zelig Ben-Meyer Halevi Zichran Ali Racha, and recently I decided to put these into an audio format as well. If you'd like to be added to the email list so that you can receive these summaries in written format, please send me an email to itistaught at gmail.com, or else you can follow the link in the show notes of this episode uh, to be added directly. There's also an opportunity to sponsor an episode of this podcast, which you can do by visiting itistaught.com and then clicking on the link that says support this project. So if you have a a loved one's yort site coming up or a birthday or for whatever other reason, if you'd like to uh, support me in the work that I do so I can continue doing this kind of work, please consider sponsoring an episode. And finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider checking out my other podcast, the It Is Taught podcast, where I focus on the daily Tanya portions in a way that is meant to be down to earth and relatable and accessible to all. And with all of that being said, let's get into today's Chumash portion. Parshas Kitisa, fifth Aliyah. In today's Aliyah, we're going to be talking about the second tablets. So Hashem shows Moshe a quarry or a mine of sapphire in his tent and tells him to carve out two stone tablets to replace the old ones, which Moshe broke, and Hashem will inscribe the same words on these as were on the previous ones. He also says that the chips of sapphire left from the quarry would be Moshe's, causing Moshe to become very wealthy. The reason why Hashem says that it is Moshe specifically who must be the one to carve these tablets in contrast to the first, which were carved out by God, by Hashem, is because Moshe was the one who falsely accused the Israelites of sinning when it was really the of Rav that instigated the whole thing. Rashi brings a parable to explain this whole chain of events and why it was that for these second uh, tablets, Hashem specifically wanted Moshe to be the one to carve them in contrast to the first, which were carved out by Hashem. So Rashi says that this is uh, like, imagine that there was a king who leaves his fiancee at home with licentious maidservants, thus gaining for herself a negative reputation by proxy. As a result, her good friend comes and tears up the engagement certificate. The friend does this so that, Would the king come and sentence his fiancée to death, the friend would produce the certificate and declare to the king that they were not yet engaged. Then the king investigates the matter and finds out that it was just the servants and not his fiancée who acted inappropriately, and he makes up with his fiancée. Her friend then comes and says, why don't you write up another engagement document for her? And the king responds that the friend should buy it since she was the one who tore it up. So in this parable, the groom or the king is Hashem, and the fiance is Israel, and the fiance's friend is Moshe. So let's just, you know, kind of understand that a little bit going through it every step along the way. So basically, so what happened? So we know that, you know, the the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people is kind of likened to a certain mar- a marriage of the of God and the Jewish people. So we were sort of like getting to the engagement stage when Moshe ascended on the mountain for the first time. And so now in the parable what happened is that the ma- the the fiance was left at home with the licentious maidservants. So in our case who were the licentious maidservants? This was the era of Rav, which we spoke about, who these were uh Egyptians and people who were not technically part of the Israelites but they came along with the Israelites, they wanted to join the Jewish nation upon leaving leaving egypt and so this they they weren't quite at the same level of holiness as the israelites and they were the ones that instigated the whole uh, golden calf situation so mm-hmm. these were like the licentious maidservants that the fiance was um was you know hanging out with and so what happens so Moshe comes down from the mountain he sees what's going on and what's the first thing that he does is he breaks the tablets and this is like into the good friend that comes and sees what's going on oh my gosh the fiance is hanging out with all these like really irreputable people and tears up the engagement certificate and why did the friend do this this was actually in order to protect the friend because the friend knew that the king would come and sentence the fiance to death just like here Moshe was like was really worried that Hashem would see the golden calf and sentence the entire Jewish nation to death. And so the friend wanted to declare to the king that they're not yet engaged to, um, you know, the certificate has been torn up. And that's what Moshe was trying to do here also is that, uh, you know, to kind of show the tablets are broken. There was nothing official here. The Jewish nation was not yet married to you. It wasn't yet a, a total engagement kind of thing. And then after, you know, the king and the parable calms down a little bit, investigates the matter and finds out that it was just the servants and not his fiance who acted inappropriately. So then he makes up with the fiance. Here too, also, you know, Hashem investigates, so to speak, what happened with the golden calf and realizes it was actually the heir of Rav um, that were involved and that instigated the whole thing. And then as a result Uh, makes up with the Jewish people. And so then the friend, quote unquote, in our case, Moshe comes back and says, okay, why don't you get reengaged? to write up another engagement document for her, meaning in our case, it's the tablets. And then the king responds and says, well, you, friend, or in our case, Moshe, you were the one that tore up the documents. You were the one that broke the tablets. So you should be the one who uh, writes it up again, or in our case, who carves out the tablets. So this is to explain to us why it was that Hashem wanted Moshe specifically to, to carve out the second tablet. So Hashem tells Moshe to prepare himself, and in the morning to ascend the mountaintop to stand near God. He should go up alone, and even the flock and cattle should not face the mountain when they grieve. The reason for this was modesty, to protect the tablets from the evil eye, which affected the first tablets. And so Moshe does as Hashem commands. He wakes up early and ascends the mountain with two new tablets. Hashem descends onto the mountain in a cloud and stands with Moshe. Different commentators disagree as to whether God called out to Moshe here or Moshe called out to God. Now Hashem passes before Moshe and says the famous verses relating to his 13 attributes of mercy. So many of you might be familiar with these verses. We say them in different times in davening it comes up. On different occasions. So just as a side note, so there the what are these thirteen attributes of mercy that are found within these verses? So it seems like there's actually a little bit of a disagreement as to how what they specifically are, but the breakdown that I'm gonna read to you. Guys, here is taken primarily from chabad.org, where chabad.org delineates the thirteen attributes of mercy as such. The first one is Kel, which is translated as God; it's one of God's names. Um, So it's a reference to God being mighty and compassionate to give all creatures according to their need. Then we have the second one, Rachum, which is translated as merciful. Third is Hanun, which is translated as gracious. Um, and the difference between these two is that merciful, rachum, is that uh, it's an, it's a reference to the attribute of God which ensures that mankind will not be distressed. Uh, versus hanun is gracious, is a reference to um, Hashem's graciousness towards mankind. If we are already in distress, God forbid. Then the fourth one is el er chapaim, which translates to mean slow to anger. And it's specifically a reference to Hashem being slow to anger towards the righteous. And then interestingly enough, the fifth attribute is again, slow to anger, but this time in reference to the wicked, that, you know, the the Hashem is slow to anger even towards the wicked. The sixth one is rav chesed, that Hashem is plentiful in His kindness. Seventh is ve'emet, which is truth and truth. Then we have eighth, which is notzer chesed, like the, the one who preserves kindness. Ninth is lalafim, unto thousands. Tenth, nose'avon, forgiving inequity. Eleventh is Vafesha and transgression. Twelfth, v'chata'ah, and sin. And thirteenth is v'nakeh, and pardoning. So it's different aspects. You know, there's a lot to say here. There are a lot of uh, Kabbalistic ideas deeply embedded in these 13 attributes of mercy. And it's something that we we arouse God's 13 attributes of mercy at different times. um, But that is the basic idea. So now, um, in going back to the text, so that those verses that we read, Hashem, Hashem, you know, that come up again in different, times when we pray so each part of these verses indicates another aspect of Hashem's mercy as we went through it uh the repetition of the tetragrammaton at the beginning where we start the verse starts off with Hashem Hashem like Yod Vavke, Vav Vavke at the beginning alludes to Hashem being merciful after a person commits a sin as well as before it has been it has been committed although God seeing the future knows that it will be so meaning to say that um that That even though Hashem knows that a person is going to commit a sin, uh, even before the fact, then Hashem is merciful towards this person, even though he knows this person is going to ultimately commit a sin. Now, the latter part of these verses, where it says, uh, which literally translates to mean, and he cleans, but then he doesn't clean. Somehow, you know, he doesn't completely clean, uh, means that while Hashem is merciful, he does not completely absolve the sin, but rather the sinner is punished for it, little by little. Alternatively, it means that the sins can be completely absolved, but only when the sinner repents. This section also states that if a person repeats the negative behaviors of his forefathers, Hashem will remember this for generations. Where it's, it says, in Hebrew, it's which uh, the literal translation of that is that he visits the inequity of parents or children and children's children to the third and fourth generations. So just a note about this, while uh, the third, you know, the third and fourth generations, like four generations might seem like a long time for Hashem to quote to, so to speak, hold a grudge. To put this in perspective, we see that Hashem rewards 500 times more strongly than He punishes. Insofar so far as earlier, it says that He preserves the kindness done by someone for 2,000 years thereafter. So it's just a little perspective on that. Okay, now getting back into our main storyline here. So now Moshe bowed down during this experience of witnessing the Shekhinah in front of him. And Moshe then requests that God travel with the Israelites as he promised that he would, uh, as we mentioned earlier in this Parsha, and forgive the Israelites. And with this, we conclude the end of today's Aliyah. Thanks for listening to my Chumash Summaries podcast. If you liked this podcast, please consider subscribing on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider also checking out my daily Tanya podcast, the It Is Taught podcast. Uh, It's also found on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or any feedback or comments or anything like that, feel free to reach out to me at itistaught at gmail.com.